news, everyone. Pop culture, politics, and a sprinkle of treason. I'm flying solo today once again. Uh, the weekend snuck up on me. What is time? Uh, so we're just going to roll solo today. It will be great. <laughs> Thank you to everyone who has written saying that you like when I host by myself. That's very kind. Um, I wanted to thank two new Patreon supporters, or I'm sorry, one new Patreon supporter, one upgrade. Can you even believe it? During these times, in this economy, all right, we're upgrading. Uh, Alex, thank you so much for upgrading. And Rhea, my newest member, uh, $10 a month. Can you believe it? Thank you so much. Uh, so kind. And as if that was not enough. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Do you like to go by Raven? Apologies. Raven from Toronto wrote in and said, Hi, Allison and co-host. Possibly yourself. I'm down with it. Little exclamation point. Thank you, Raven. Greetings from Canada. Since I'm very lucky to be able to uh, do my job from home these days, I thought I'd resume my support for the show. I used to be a vagabond. Ooh. Thank you for the incredible work you do. I listen every week, and I'm excited to be able to contribute again. If you needed some good news, oh my God, Raven, do I ever. You're going to see in the rest of this episode, do I need good news? Uh, here are some things that have happened since quarantine started. One, I finished knitting a hat. Awesome, Raven. Two, I have bought some plants, finally progressed from cacti. Sweet. Three, Canada has banned assault-style weapons after the country's worst mass shooting. That is actually good news. And four, I started a virtual book club with my coworkers. Raven, you are, dare I say, thriving in quarantine. Good for you. Stay strong and keep up the great work. Lots of love, Raven from Toronto. Wow. Raven, what a message. I love everything that you're doing. Good on Canada for banning assault-style weapons after uh, the country's worst mass shooting. As an American, I cannot relate. I cannot relate to the government coming up with a sensible solution for a, a dire problem that's happening all the time. I uh, can't imagine it, not in my wildest fantasies nor dreams, but I'm happy for you. I feel like at this point we watch Canada like it's um, a parallel reality where everything could, it, it, it could have gone for us, but it did not. You know what I mean? Like, oh, that could be America, but it's not. It's Canada, but we're happy for you. Please maintain the country so that when we flee America, Canada's dope. Like, let's get Canada ready for all of the American refugees, is what I'm saying. So guys, we are in the pop culture section, but here's a plot twist. <laughs> um, I have watched nothing but Survivor for mm, over a month. So I do have some other recommendations that are not Survivor related, but they're older. Um, because I watched them pre-shelter in place when we were like ha 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 this is still fun and new I guess I'll watch all these films what a little treat and now this is just our lives and no one knows what's going to happen tomorrow so bear that in mind um and also I don't remember what I have recommended to you guys so I sincerely don't even know did I talk about the finale of devs maybe I did let's revisit briefly devs is a great show a very strange show that probably would not have been able to exist <laughs> um, had the director, uh, Alex Garland, not had so much cachet behind his name. Um, it's great. I thought the finale was more or less satisfying. Um I'm not thrilled with the idea of, and I guess this is a spoiler if you're trying to remain completely spoiler-free for devs, skip ahead to the next music cue. But a lot of what devs is about is determinism and if we as human beings have free will or if we do not. And Nick Offerman's character is of the belief that we do not. And then there's a central protagonist named Lily who believes, yes, we do have free will. And I, 
it feels kind of cheap that it's sort of like the one hero who comes along and can shatter uh can shatter something like that and be like no we can have free will because i'm gonna make a decision that i wasn't supposed to make right now and everyone's like what and she's like "Uh uh-huh and that's how the show (laughs) ends basically i don't know it felt very easy and i recognize that it was a uh you know endings are hard it's not always easy to wrap something like that up but i don't know it felt a little too convenient but um you know that aside the journey is great this is kind of how i recommend lost as well when people are like should i watch lost and people are very mean about lost and they're like no the ending sucked blah 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 and look did the ending suck absolutely um famously sucked i don't need to tell you that the ending of lost was bad everybody knows it already um but does that mean the journey isn't worth it I disagree, especially if you're braced, like I'm not going to have a satisfying ending here. I think you can enjoy the journey even more. Watch Game of Thrones that way, (laughs) watch Lost that way, and I would say watch Devs that way as well. So um, I also have been getting heavy into Karen Kostuma movies because wowie wow, she's talented. Um, so I was like, Hey, what should I watch if I like uh, Karen Kasuma? And Google was like, you like Karen Kasuma, you should watch Anne Flux and Destroyer. And I was like, okay. And I watched both and I, she's such a talented filmmaker. Let me just say that. Uh, it like is Destroyer a happy film to watch or an enjoyable film to watch? No. Uh, is it phenomenally directed and acted by Nicole Kidman and directed by Karen Kasuma? Uh-huh. Do I love watching a, a lady director work with a strong actress? Yep. Because you don't get to see that a lot in Hollywood, sadly. Um, and, you know, a woman of color, no less. So I highly recommend all of the films of Karen Kasuma. I hope I'm pronouncing her last name correctly. I've never actually heard anyone say her name aloud because women don't get nominated for director awards. So I think that's how you say her name. Anyway. Uh, and then I would like to recommend uh, four, oh no, wait, 13 seasons of Survivor. What season am I on? I finally got to the, the famous... <laughs> season the cook islands where they divide the tribes into uh races as in um there's a white team a black team a latino team and uh asian team question mark question mark question mark oh boy only something that it could have Oh, actually, I don't know what year uh, Survivor Cook Islands came out. Let's all guess what year. That, to me, feels like a very late 90s, early 2000s move. Uh Uh-oh, it was 2006. That's too late to do that, Survivor. Not that it was ever okay, but 2006 was certainly too late. So um, I'm right in the middle of that. Um, They are only divided into... (laughs) races i can't believe i'm saying this for the first few episodes and then they combine tribes and i was like oh good that's all behind us but then they keep referring to each other by their uh their races so it'll be like man we got to get those asians and it's like oh god oh okay um let's just all be aware of the language we're using when we say get those asians because that's a very scary thing to say especially if you are a white person uh you know, just be mindful moments in our history. And by moments, I mean, um, like today, right now as well, um, hunting people based on their racism, you know, not something that we want to embrace. I'll say, I'll say I'm anti that hunting people based on race, uh, on this show. So can't say I recommend Cook Islands Survivor, I am watching it because this is part of my journey where I am watching all 30-something seasons of Survivor. I'm almost halfway done. I can't believe this is my life. I can't believe I've done this to myself. I 
I now think of things in survivor terms where I definitely feel myself thinking like ally or tribe, like uh, the jargon, the vernacular. I think Jeff Probst is a vampire who has been sent here as some kind of social experiment where he wants us to struggle in the wilderness for his amusement. It feels like I don't think it's an actual show. I just think it's something that Jeff Probst and his billionaire vampire friends are like, this is fun. This is fun. Do you see that one girl? She's crying. That was hilarious. Uh, And let me just say, I bow to our vampire overlords. I swear my allegiance. Please don't take me off the air. So, yeah. Uh, And let me ask you guys this. What the hell are you all watching? (laughs) Oh, I started. I can't even. I don't even know if I can recommend it yet because, again, I am just neck deep in Survivor. But I started The Great on Hulu. um, And I truly just got one episode in. And yeah, it's like, what is there not to like? Um, If you are a fan of Elle Fanning, if you're a fan of Nicholas Holt, um, if you're a fan of Catherine the Great shit, uh, Empress of Russia, if that is your jam, uh, you'll you'll probably like it. It's it's funny, really biting, satirical send-up of uh, Catherine the Great and the Russian... Czar, Russian Empire. Um, But yeah, I can't fully recommend it, obviously, because I haven't finished it, which feels important (laughs) if you're going to recommend something. But you know, it's got good pedigree written by Tony uh, McNamara, the screenwriter of The Favorite. So if you like that tone of the favorite, you'll probably like the great. So I'll I'll throw that in as well. Even though caveat, 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 have not seen the whole thing. Um, and then yeah, guys, I have done nothing else. I can't emphasize enough how much Survivor I've watched. So now that I am, mm, I keep saying thirteen seasons, but I don't think. I actually have Survivor up on my computer right now so I can tell you. Yeah, it is 13 seasons. So I'm about halfway through 13 seasons. um, Halfway through the 13th season of Survivor. So I'm going to share with you all now. Oh my God, Survivor's playing. Don't take us off the air because of copyright. I'm not doing this of my own free will. My computer's doing this. Okay. So now that I have watched No Survivor, I'm pretty confident in sharing with you all what my strategy would be if I got on the show. If there are other Survivor heads out there, what do you guys call yourselves? Do you call yourself Survivor heads? Because I just called you that. So if that's insulting, I apologize. Um, I think the key to Survivor is obviously you don't want to fly too low or too high, right? If you're totally useless in camp, people notice, they want to vote you out because they get frustrated, understandably so. But it's also a mistake to like start crushing the physical challenges or making yourself a leader at camp because then you're perceived as too big of a threat. So you really have to like fly in between, which I'm not saying is easy, but that would just obviously be my goal. Like to be helpful, not too helpful, to do well in the challenges, not too well, not too well. And to just sort of coast for a while before I crush everyone, right? And then you want to get in there right away and make as many uh, alliances as as possible without being too flashy about it. Because that's another thing. If you look like you're wheeling and dealing too much, if you look like you're, you're exercising the game too robustly, people get rid of you because they're like, I don't like that person. They, they're shifty, you know? So you have to be smart about it for the love of God. Look around before you start trying to make alliances. I don't know how many times this has happened on Survivor where someone will be like, Rick, Rick, we got to get together and fuck these motherfuckers. And the motherfuckers are standing right behind them, right behind them. And then they're like, did you hear that? And it's like, oh, my God, of course they heard that. You dumb bitch. Look around. Look around before you like try to fuck people. You know, that's my advice in general. Look around before you try to fuck people. 
So that would be another thing I would do. Um, I think I would try to get really good at fishing, but not too good at fishing. Because again, you don't want to be, you don't want to fly too high because that's when people try to knock you out. Um, but yeah, prove myself useful, not too useful. Make as many alliances as I can. Uh, and then epically fuck people over. Anybody who's like, I just want to do this game in the most ethical, moral way I can. It's like, you're on Survivor. Like, you contractually have to fuck people over at the end <laughs> so you can win. You can't play that ethically. I've never seen it happen once. I've never seen somebody get through all of Survivor without lying one time. Uh, so it's not possible. Anyway, that's that's how I would deal. That's that is my strategy. And if you have a strategy, hashtag light trees and pod, how would you get to final two of Survivor? By the way, I never knew final two. Number two gets a hundred thousand dollars. I'd do that shit for a hundred thousand dollars. And everybody's like, I came here to win. I would definitely be like, I came here to win or get second, because second is also good. You know, like obviously not a million dollars, but I wouldn't be mad. That's why the person who loses never looks that mad because they're like, well, I got a hundred thousand dollars. That's pretty good. And I think third gets something too. I don't know how much, but you know, small potatoes in comparison, but I don't know. A hundred thousand dollars. It's pretty good. I'm saying I would, uh, borderline starve for 39 days for a hundred thousand dollars. And is that healthy? No. Is capitalism evil? Absolutely. But I would do it. I would do it while trapped in the prison of capitalism. I would compete on survivor for a hundred thousand dollars. Don't even give me the million. The million is off the table. I'll do it for a hundred thousand dollars. Jeff Probst, you heard me a hundred thousand dollars. I'll do it. And I'll stir the pot. I will stir it up. I will get people fighting. I will. This is now my audition tape for Survivor, you guys. This used to be a political comedy podcast, and now it will be a series of auditions that we together have to mail Jeff Probst so I can get on Survivor. Mr. Probst, thank you so much for taking time um, from your vampire empire to listen to me. I think I would be a great contestant for Survivor because... I didn't come to play, one. I am not here to make friends, two. Three, I'm competing for the $100,000. You can keep the million. Thank you so much. Four, I'm pretty sure I can communicate with fish. Pretty sure. And then finally, five, um, I have no allegiance to anyone, even if I say I do. So, um, ooh, we got cat business, everybody. We got cat business. Here's a fun question. Have any of you ever auditioned for Survivor? I have a friend who uh, sent in an audition tape and got as far as an interview. But I'm curious to know because it's been on forever. So statistically, somebody who listens to this knows somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody who got pretty far auditioning for Survivor. So I want to hear about it from you. Hashtag light trees and pod or like however you feel about Survivor, even if you don't like it, weigh in. Why don't you like it? Why are you a freak who hates Survivor? <laughs> Tell me. Um, because I have to say, I was the the least likely person to watch it and enjoy it, and I'm enjoying it. So if I can like it, I'm pretty sure anybody can like it. So again, um, we're now on week four, I believe, of me recommending Survivor in the pop culture section. Uh, one day our long national nightmare will be over. And I will watch something else and be able to tell you about it. Uh, but until then, I will just be explaining things I've seen on Survivor, which is, again, a show that has been on the air for 20 years. So timely and relevant, as always, on Light Trees and News. Guys, um, I just fucked around a bunch in the pop cult culture section, and that was to give me the strength to get through the bad news section because, ooh, she's a doozy. Um, so without further ado, let's all hold hands and cry. We'll get through it. It's okay. Here's your bad news. So... 
at the top of the bad news section, of course, we're going to talk all about George Floyd, police brutality, the uh, the the plethora of protests that have exploded all across the country, including here in New York City. Um, the strong police state response to these protests. Um, and, you know, just a reminder that the budget of the NYPD is $6 billion a year. That's a billions with a B. Like they're a little army. And they are a little army. If they were an army, they'd be the sixth largest army in the world. Isn't that crazy? Uh-huh. Uh, so, obviously, if you... Uh, hadn't heard about what happened in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, there was a, a horrible videotaped instance of police brutality where officers were uh, arresting a man named George Floyd. And one of the officers in the video uh, kneels on his neck, uh, even as, you know, it's clear that he's in distress. He's saying he... He can't breathe, which will sound familiar to anybody who saw that Eric Garner video here in New York City. And ultimately, this police officer, uh, Derek Chauvin, I believe his name is, he uh, he killed George Floyd, and it, it's all on video. And Derek Chauvin is not the only police officer who was involved in this. I think there were four or five other police officers. But uh, since this video went viral, protests erupted. Um, Derek Chauvin was first fired from the Minneapolis police, and he has since been arrested uh, for third-degree murder uh, and manslaughter, which, just to revisit the definition of that, is an oopsie murder. And I would not count kneeling on someone until they are dead as an oopsie murder. Uh, that is, uh, you just straight-up killed a guy, and it's on video, and you're still not getting charged with first-degree murder, which is wild. And then it comes to light that Jarek Chauvin has had many, many complaints lodged against him um, for uh, excessive force. This is not a new phenomenon in this officer's career. He's a, he's a terrorist. <laughs> and like, there's no other word for it. He has been terrorizing his community and killed someone. Um, so... You know, not really third degree oopsie murder. More like a clear pattern of uh, disturbing behavior that clearly indicated you were going to kill someone. So, um, as I said, protests erupted. Uh, Minneapolis popped off. If you've seen uh, any videos from those protests, um, police precincts on fire. Um, yeah, really, really, uh, obviously there's been a lot of attention devoted to the property damage aspect of the protest, which is wild because let's just remember that once again, this all started because a human being was murdered and some people seem to be more upset that like a target got looted, which is interesting. Interesting priorities. Uh, merchandise from a major corporation can be replaced. Target will be fine. Um, George Floyd is dead. And it's weird to me that you're mad people stole like an inner tube from Target. But you're surprisingly quiet about the George Floyd thing. That that worries me a little bit. Um, so I also just wanted to talk in general before we get to the protest here in New York City or Trump's dumb tweets. Uh, there's an article at CNN. CNBC that went up May 21st about how American billionaires got $434 billion richer during the pandemic. Good for them. Good for them. Um, so when we talk about pillaging and looting, it's interesting that we talk about that in terms of poor people stealing shit that they couldn't afford on the bottom rung of our capitalist society when they see an opportunity, you know, like, well, they smashed that window. Might as well go get some stuff. That seems to offend people more than the fact that billionaires who never have to work another day in their lives probably didn't really have to work a lot uh, at, in their early years either 
got $434 billion richer during a pandemic. Okay. Um, guess who got the biggest gain out of all those billionaires? And there's not many of them, but, you know. Jeff Bezos and Mark Zuckerberg cleaned up the most, made the biggest gains. Bezos added $34.6 billion to his wealth, and Zuckerberg picked up $25 billion. And you know that made Zuckerberg mad that he only had $25 billion. Um, so why, my question is, why do we not consider that looting? Why do we only consider it looting when, again, poor people who have nothing, who see a narrow window of opportunity to maybe grab some stuff they need. That is the crime of the century. But murdering George Floyd or pillaging during a global pandemic is considered like just part of business, just part of capitalism. This is just how our system works. And it's fine. And we don't even need to discuss it. It's so fine. Just, just a question. So this morning I woke up and our great leader of this country, she was up and tweeting and she was steamed. Um, you can always tell that Trump is uh, so mad that he's probably shaking uh, when and while claiming that like he's not bothered at all. <laughs> and he just posts a series of insane uh, tweets where how did this even start? So he was praising, as I said, there's been a bunch of protests in response to the murder of George Floyd all over the country. And there was a very spirited one right outside the White House where if you didn't see footage from it, protesters got into a tug of war with police with a gate. They were like pulling and uh, the both sides were pulling this gate and trying to get it from the other side. Um, and it was very entertaining to watch. <laughs> um, so uh, Trump this morning said, great job last night at the White House by the US Secret Service. They were not only totally professional, but very cool. I was inside, watched every move, and couldn't have felt more safe right there. You just have to know that Trump always means the opposite of whatever he's saying. So he is pissing himself <laughs> at this point. <laughs> they let the protesters scream and rant as much as they wanted. But whenever someone, uh-oh, oh, there's a second part, dot, dot, dot. Oh, I am on the edge of my seat, Donald. Whenever someone, what? Um, oh, it just kind of trails off. Okay. So, yeah, he... Very, uh, very impressed with the Secret Service. Um, oh, I guess this was the second part. The professionally managed so-called protesters, in scare quotes, at the White House had little to do with the memory of George Floyd. Nope, they were a, a direct result of uh, George Floyd. They were just there to cause trouble. The Secret Service handled them easily. Tonight, I understand is MAGA night at the White House? Question mark, question mark, question mark. Is he asking us if tonight is MAGA night at the White House? Anyway, uh, this is all to say that the uh, people who say that rioting is not a valid form of protest have once again been proven wrong. Because let's look at what's happened since there's been quote unquote rioting, right? Uh, the officer who killed George Floyd has been arrested and charged with manslaughter. And let's just say that at the start of this, he was merely fired. Since then, he has now been arrested and charged with manslaughter. That is a direct result of the rioting. Another direct result of the rioting, national attention. This is what everyone's talking about right now, including the president of the United States, because he has to come out and claim he was not scared. He was scared. Another direct result of rioting. <laughs> So anybody who says that it's not an effective form of protest strategy is dead wrong. I think what they mean to say is I'm frightened and I don't know what to do right now. And yeah, is rioting scary? Sure. Hearing gunshots in your neighborhood? Scary. Sure. But this is predominantly a new phenomenon for white people. Um, and that's just something to keep in mind where it's like, 
no one's saying it's not scary, but in terms of like the impulse to say, this isn't effective, this isn't working, it's like, but but it is, but it is. We're seeing results of it everywhere. Um, so you're wrong, and you should, of course, read This Nonviolent Stuff Will Get You Killed by Charles Cobb. Great book. Um, I, uh, to give you a, a summary of it, Martin Luther King Jr., um, famously a proponent of nonviolent protest, took a bunch of fine uh, civil rights organizers and went to the Deep South to help people to register to vote and stuff. And while they were down there, they met a bunch of uh, black people who were armed, who had rifles and shotguns. And when they were told by the civil rights northerners, oh, that's not really our thing, where we do nonviolence, their response was, well, we can't do nonviolence because if we do nonviolence, it'll get us killed. Because what happens down here is the Klan shows up in the middle of the night and we have to be able to defend ourselves because the cops won't come and save us. Oftentimes, the cops are the Klan. So we need to keep our guns. And Martin Luther King Jr.'s response to that was, word, cool, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll set that matter aside because I understand you guys need to defend yourselves. He did not embrace the idea of armed resistance. Obviously, that was more Malcolm X's style. But he wasn't going to fight with them over this. He wasn't going to tell them that their experiences weren't valid or real. He was like, I understand. You need to do this. So let's just let you keep doing what you've been doing. You know. So even Martin Luther King Jr. understood there was a, there was a line, a threshold, where if someone steps to you intending to kill you, you have the right to defend yourself. And I don't know how anybody can live in this country and not think that poor people of color and people of color in general are having their lives threatened every day by institutional racism, by police brutality. If an officer is kneeling on your neck until you can't breathe, he's trying to kill you. He's trying to kill you. So all of this is a direct consequence of that violent action. The, the riots are a direct connection with it, and also a, a rebellion against our capitalist system, right? Um, when you smash into a target <laughs> and you steal their shit, um, it's, it's, you know, to, since we're talking about Martin Luther King Jr., it's the language of the unheard, you know? Like, when you are a poor person, you have absolutely no power in this country. And a riot is poor people finally having power. And that power looks like property damage. It looks like stolen merchandise. But we always have to remember that a human being died. So all that shit in a target can be replaced. George Floyd is never, ever, ever going to come back. So just remember that that's the crime. Also, oh, I'm going to shout that dude out in the good news section. <laughs> uh, anybody who has like a positive response to um, rioting and who like gets it, <laughs> I'm going to shout out in the good news section. Um, so yeah, here in New York City, there was uh, protests as well. Uh, some people got really banged up. I think nationwide there's been two deaths during the protests, one in Detroit, I believe, one in Oakland. Um, Detroit was a protester. Oakland was an officer. Um, and both were shootings. Detroit's a little, a little muddy about what happened. They said a random passerby shot a protester. Of course, some people are wondering if it was a, an officer and were perhaps an off-duty question mark officer. Because if you've seen photos from a lot of these protests, um, undercover police are not very good at being undercover. You can always spot an undercover police officer <laughs> at a protest. They are wearing um, backwards baseball caps and they don't roll up their jeans. And that's basically all you need to know. Oh, and they look like 45. Um, and they also wear armbands. And the, the color of the armband differs depending on the day. But during the George Floyd protests, they were all white. Um, <laughs> you do what you will with that information. But they were wearing white armbands. And they were very easy to identify. Um, 
So, of course, some people were wondering, like, since there were undercover police everywhere and there was a shooting in Detroit, who knows uh, who shot that protester? But, of course, not out of the realm of possibility that it might have been um, the cops themselves. Would anyone be surprised? No. Um, But, like I said, we don't know who actually did the shooting. So, um, if you saw any of the footage from New York... Sadly, it's a site that I think we've become accustomed to seeing, which is just the NYPD being a total occupying army and marching down the street in their ridiculous riot gear um, meant to intimidate people, throwing people to the ground. There was a video of a young woman who must weigh 100 pounds soaking wet, and an officer knocks her so violently to the ground, she hits her head. She has to go to the hospital. There were reports that she had a seizure. Um, She seems okay right now because she's posting videos from the hospital. And it's just a total badass where she is telling her side of the story about what happened because the cops tried to claim that she spit at them. She was like, I did not spit at them. I was wearing a face mask. Um, She said she didn't really get to interact with them at all. They just knocked her to the ground really violently. There was amazing footage of a burning police van. Nobody inside, obviously. There was another clip of um, when the NYPD do mass arrests, oftentimes they don't have a way to transport that many people to the precinct to um, process them. So what they do is they'll commandeer a bus, a city bus, And this time they tried to commandeer the bus and the bus driver walked off the bus and refused to drive them, which obviously everybody goes nuts in the video clip. Um, the, the, The video clip went viral. And as someone astutely pointed out on Twitter, that's the power of a union, baby, because that driver knew his union would have his back if he got off that bus. Um, you can't do that NYPD. You can't suddenly, uh, make someone a police officer and make them drive prisoners. He had every right to walk off the bus and refused to do that. And you couldn't do a goddamn thing about it. So that was a a rare heartwarming moment (laughs) in all of this. Seeing someone uh, say fuck you to the NYPD was pretty satisfying. It's also pretty satisfying to see a police van on fire, I have to say. I think that if we have a flag of any kind of resistance... It should be a police van that is fully engulfed in flames. Boy, was it on fire. It wasn't a little bit of fire, you guys. This shit was fully aflame. Um, so while all these protests were happening, Trump was um, just losing his mind on Twitter. After midnight, the president threatened a violent response, saying these thugs, in all caps, are dishonoring the memory of George Floyd. Okay, because Trump cares about George Floyd all of a sudden. And I won't let that happen. Uh, When the looting starts, the shooting starts. Uh, Quoting there the controversial Miami police chief Walter Headley, who became infamous in the 1960s for his aggressive tactics in putting down black youths he claimed were taking advantage of civil rights legislation. Um, So yeah, just openly calling for people to be murdered the president of the united states so i have to say though i've seen some journalists and i'm not sure what country they're living in blame trump for this heightened police response which is very strange because like look obviously the president's a racist um a lot of police officers are white supremacists blah 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 That is true, but this kind of police state, police brutality existed well before Trump. Like, if you want to actually point fingers, point them at the Democrats who were rubber stamping the sales of armored tanks and sonic weapons for the NYPD and, like, very small police forces, too, all across the country to use against any kind of local uprisings. Like, if we're actually going to get to the root of how the police state started in this country. It was the militarization of the police, and that was happening when we had Democrats in the White House, too. So this is not new, and I really question journalists who (laughs) are behaving as though this is new. It makes me think maybe you've never been to a protest before, 
Like you definitely weren't at the Occupy protest. You weren't at the the protests after Trayvon or, or Eric Garner or Mike Brown, obviously, because all of this shit was happening then too. Not new, not new under Trump. That doesn't mean Trump's not inflaming rhetoric and, you know, is a piece of shit racist. Uh, that is all true. But the people who were like, this never happened, like, what? <laughs> like, this has been an issue for a minute. Um, so welcome. I'm glad you think it's a problem. But yeah, definitely not new. And also, fucking hold Democrats accountable when they approve the, of this shit. So during these protests... Um, on CNN, a correspondent named Omar Jimenez was arrested live on TV when he was covering the protests in Minneapolis. I probably don't even need to tell anybody of this, but uh, Omar is black. And uh, when he was on air, uh, a group of cops in riot gear surrounded him as he clearly identified himself as a reporter. Uh, Jimenez calmly and politely asked the officers where they would like him and his crew to place themselves. Then one officer told the reporter that he was under arrest without further explanation. A white correspondent who was also approached by police was allowed to stay in the area. So strangely, they perceived the black reporter as a threat and the white reporter was allowed to stay and keep doing their job. So I always hesitate to cover the arrest or harassment of journalists during protests like this, not because I don't think it's important, but I think there is a sort of like fetishizing of the media by the media where it's like the fourth estate, the most important estate in the country. And it's like a little masturbatory where it's like a sacred journalist was touched. And meanwhile, they're just like straight up murdering civilians left and right. And uh, journalists don't get quite as upset over that. So I, I'm not saying like, you know, Omar being uh, bothered or arrested and harassed, obviously, is any more important than anybody else being uh, arrested during the protest. But I do think it's significant that they, uh, the, the police in Minneapolis felt so emboldened and empowered to do this that they just straight up arrested a journalist on air. That to me is wild. That to me feels newer. Not that like pro, not that journalists haven't been arrested in the past and even on air before. But this was pretty extraordinary, I think, for it to happen on air. It's not like CNN is a an unknown network. <laughs> Everybody knows CNN is news. This is a real journalist. He is credentialed. Um, he legally has protection to be here, and they just arrested him. And it's like, yeah, that that's what they can do. Anybody who thinks our, our First Amendment, our free press is protected, it's like, well, yeah, sure, until it's not. <laughs> until they just straight up arrest you on national TV. Wild. Um, and then obviously, you know, not as perhaps significant as the, the George Floyd murder, but man, can you believe the Amy Cooper thing happened in the same week? Isn't that wild? Uh, because I never got to cover it on this show. This all happened in the same week, guys. So here in New York and Central Park, um, there was a incident where a bird watcher, a black man named Christian Cooper, was in the park looking for little birdies because he has the purest hobby in the world. <laughs> and he observed a woman named, weirdly, Amy Cooper. They're not related. Um with her dog in the park and she had taken her dog off the leash. You're not allowed to do that. And the dog was running around and Christian got very concerned because a lot of the birds that he likes to watch in the park, um, have their nests on the ground. And what can happen is obviously dogs can find the nest, destroy the nest. So he was very worried. So he said, uh, you know, please put your dog on their leash. You're not allowed to do that. They get into a back and forth, Amy Cooper accuses him of trying to poison her dog. He was not. He always keeps dog treats on him in case he sees something like that so he can feed the dog treats. And 
what Chris said is in his, his experience, um, people don't like when you feed their dog treats and they tend to put their dog back on a leash very quickly and then leave. So that's his like sort of um, nonviolent strategy <laughs> of dealing with something like that. Um, and she flew to the extreme and said that he was trying to poison her dog. So they get into a back and forth. He starts to feel very uncomfortable. So he decides to film the interaction, which is very, very smart. You should always do that. Always get it on video so it's not just your word against theirs. He's filming her. She starts to threaten that she's going to call the uh, the police on him, call 911, and then very pointedly says, I am going to tell them an African-American man is threatening my life. Bitch. Like, she knows what she's doing. She, in that moment, is using every single ounce of white lady privilege to summon the full force of the NYPD on a black man, knowing that they'll take her side over his. That's everything she said when she said, African-American man is threatening me. So this video, again, goes viral. I don't know why racist white people don't understand. Y'all will go viral and it will be bad for you. So she's fired like immediately <laughs> from her job and says her life is quote unquote ruined. It's not, she'll be fine. Um, but yeah, she uh, rightfully so there was a huge backlash and she suffered consequences. So now the NYPD is saying that she actually could be arrested and face charges if investigators prove a false call was made. Um, it is illegal to call 911 and make up a bunch of shit that you're being threatened when you're not being threatened. And listen, I am not a carceral liberal. I don't think anybody going to prison solves racism or helps anybody in any real way. I, I would even venture to say that like maybe Chris Cooper doesn't want her to go to jail because all he has said in interviews is just like um, he doesn't seem like a vindictive person at all. He's just kind of like, I want to just go back to my life <laughs> basically. So I'm not saying this would help anyone. But I do think there needs to be very real consequences for white people who use 911 as a weapon against people of color who they just don't like. Because what you are doing in that situation is you are jeopardizing people's lives. How many stories have we heard about police shooting and killing innocent, unarmed people of color, oftentimes when they're in their own homes, like minding their own business? Um, it happens all the time, and you know that's a very real possibility. So when you call 911 on a person of color, you are basically saying, like, your life has no value, and the state works for me, and I am going to use the police to execute you, is what you're doing in that situation. And over what? Because you got into a disagreement about your dog? Like, are you fucking crazy? What is wrong with you? Like, I more than anything, I want Amy Cooper to sit down with a counselor and have the counselor be like, what is wrong with you? Why did you think that was an acceptable response to what was happening? And like, did you consider that if the police showed up and Chris Cooper made a wrong move that he could have been killed? And would you have felt good about that? If that would have made you feel bad, then why did you call 911? <laughs> I just want her to have a good talking to is what I'm saying. So also in, in bad news, but also we could have predicted this quite easily, everybody. Everybody saw those pictures from the Ozarks uh, where people were crowded in um, various venues in the Lake of the Ozarks in Missouri. Well, turns out one of the guests at the packed Memorial Day weekend pool party tested positive for coronavirus. I'm not laughing. It's not funny. Um, but you know, they're not the only one, you know, that shit spread like wildfire. And now <clears throat> probably quite a few of them have coronavirus who could have predicted. Oh, that's right. Anybody, anybody could have predicted it at any time. Um, and then finally, guys, I'm putting this in the bad news section just because I see so many of my mutual followers still following this person. And I would just like to make a general plea that you don't I'm sure over the years, uh, many, many years ago, I probably shouted at him, him out in an approving way, too. But, you know, shit comes to light. Um, people show their true colors. 
uh, don't follow or certainly don't give money to Sean King. Um, women of color have been uh, blowing the whistle on this guy for so long, and it seems like it's finally picking up a little more mainstream traction. The Daily Beast has a, a profile uh, about his questionable money-raising um, campaigns and, like, where did that money go? <laughs> and and did anybody get anything for it? Uh, asking all those questions. And um, it's just a pattern of shady behavior. And I know a lot of white people who still follow Sean King for for news about police brutality and race matters. And let me just be the first to say, there are so many other people you could follow to get that news. Um, I follow a lot of them on, on Twitter for my information. So yeah, don't give money to Sean King, okay? Okay. Guys, that's enough of the bad. Let's end things on a good note. Oh, and also I'll, I'll link to all of these articles in uh, our Lipson uh, episode recap if ever you're looking for links to any of the stories you can find them there okay here's your good news all right so circling back to rioting i love this story about a restaurant owner in Minneapolis whose building was damaged during protest. Um, so you think this man, uh, Gandhi Mahal, owner of a Indian and Bangladeshi restaurant, would be one of the voices who's like, God damn you looters, God damn these riots. Well, the opposite is true. Um, as I said, his was one of several businesses damaged by the fire during the protests over the killing of George Floyd. Um, but Gandhi Mahal's owner, oh, I'm sorry, Gandhi Mahal's the restaurant. Uh, the owner, Ruhel Islam, declared his solidarity with the protesters. Um, and his daughter wrote about it on Facebook and quoted her father saying, let my building burn. Justice needs to be served. Put those officers in jail. Um, so I thought that was so great because... Not obviously great that this poor man's restaurant was damaged, but the fact that he was able to understand that rioting, again, is the language of the unheard, and that the bigger issue at play here is that officers murdered George Floyd. So that obviously is is what we should be concerned about. And here's a guy who I don't think many people would uh, fault for being very upset that his business got burned in a fire. And even he's like, no, actually these police officers should be in jail and we should focus on that. So his daughter wrote, Gandhi Mahal may have felt the flames last night, but our fiery drive to help protect and stand with our community will never die. Um, and Islam told Buzzfeed that he was heartbroken by the damage, but that he understood the protesters anger. Life is more valuable than anything else. Islam told uh, Buzzfeed, we can build a building, we can rebuild a building, but we cannot give this man back to his family. What a cool dude. Uh, man, if you live in Minneapolis, Minnesota, go to Gandhi Mahal, support them. Classic, class, class, class. So, uh, also, in good news, um, Oh, <laughs> I'm so petty. I forgot I put this in good news. Look, Amy Klobuchar probably is not going to be Biden's VP. And I consider that a good thing because Biden's enough of a disastrous candidate without fucking Amy Klobuchar locked onto him. Um, but the reason Amy Klobuchar is probably going to have to sit this one out is she hails from the great state of Minnesota. Um, and it, of course, came to light during her seven-year tenure as the county attorney of Hennepin County. Uh, she failed to bring charges against a single police officer involved in, excuse me, involved in a shooting, opting to send the cases to grand juries, a process the Times notes can give preferential treatment to cops. Okay, here's a little insider uh, information. I served on a grand jury. Um about a year ago and <clears throat> we we got a few uh cases involving police officers no 
police shootings, but like police officers who, um, one case specifically, police officers chased um, uh, a black man who I believe he had been trying to steal a car. And then they allege that he threw a gun that they found, uh, but there was no surveillance footage of this, no like body cams, nothing. It was just four cops saying they found a gun on this guy. So obviously my grand jury uh, did not believe the police officers, or at the very least we were like, you don't have evidence that you can't show us that that gun belonged to him. So we don't believe you. We won't give you the charge of um, possession of a deadly weapon. We'll give you some other charges. We won't give you that. So we came back with that ruling and the uh, DA and the cops were fucking furious at us and made us sit there longer than we should have had to sit there. And they presented all the evidence in the exact same order again, basically trying to pressure us to give them the deadly weapon charge. And that pissed us off. So we refused. <laughs> and basically it was all for naught. They, they couldn't get us to uh, give them that charge. They just had to move on, but they really pressured us. So that's a little bit of, you know, not just the um, the county attorney putting pressure on everybody, but like the whole system. Once it goes to grand jury, the grand jury is set up in such a way that it really, really favors the police officers. So ba basically, the cops show up and they're like, here's what happened. And the jury's supposed to be like, that's what happened. And if you push back the slightest bit, they really like, they looked like they wanted to kill us. <laughs> <laughs> they were really pissed. Uh, didn't care though. Haha. -ha. Um, I was on a dope grand jury with a, a bunch of elders who were like not having it. And they were like, you don't have anything. You don't scare us. Um, it was great. I highly recommend doing grand jury service. <laughs> the cases are all pretty interesting. Uh, look, did some of them deeply traumatize me? Yes. But um, yeah, you got to uh, you got to piss off cops. So if nothing else, do it for that. Uh, and then finally, shout out to Costa Rica, the first Central American country to legalize same-sex marriage, according to CNN. Um, the journey towards marriage equality has been a long one. In 2014, Costa Rica's social security system officials unanimously approved reforms that would grant same-sex couples the same rights as heterosexual couples in healthcare matters, including the ability to make medical decisions, visitation rights, and insurance coverage. Four years later, August 2018, Costa Rica's Constitutional Court ruled that laws preventing same-sex marriage were unconstitutional and discriminatory, with a caveat that the law could be changed within 18 months. That's always fun. Um, as the BBC reported, the ruling came much to the chagrin of evangelical legislative members. Instead, two years later, the country has officially recognized marriage equality, a rare instance of a country moving in a more liberal direction. <laughs> um, so yeah, hell yeah, Costa Rica. In, in all the, the shittiness, uh, a glimmer of light. Uh, yeah, and I wanted to shout out any, anybody who went to any of the protests. Um, if you have any stories, hashtag light trees and pod. What did you see? What did you hear? I hope you're okay. Uh, a friend of mine went to uh, uh, one of the protests in Brooklyn, got pretty banged up because the cops are dicks, and yeah, she got a she got a little bloody, and but other than that, she's okay. Um, but yeah, I guys, times are tough, and let me just say, like, I don't want to do the my fellow white people thing because that can be gross. <laughs> <laughs> in its own way and condescending and blah, 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 blah. But uh, if you're in a financial position to do so, there's uh, really good bailout funds. Uh, there's a Minnesota one. There's a New York City one. Uh, there's also one for Atlanta, uh, Louisville, I believe. Basically anywhere where there was a, a large George Floyd Black Lives Matter protest and people were arrested, there's probably a bailout fund. So if you saw one happen in your own local community and you're like, how do I help? What can I do? You can give money. Money is huge um, and very badly needed. Uh, if your specific city state still has a cash bail system, uh, Washington, D.C. does not have that anymore. Um, but you can also do um, jail aid. You can like bring food. You can bring water. 
uh, for people who are getting out of, of jail? Because that can be like a, a really scary thing, the whole process of getting like arrested, um, processed by the police, held. And by the time you get out, you're so tired, you're so hungry, you're so thirsty that it's really nice to see like a friendly face when you get out of jail and somebody hands you a, a granola bar and a bottle of water. It's nice. You know, you like you don't feel alone. Um, they'll give you like money to like get back home, all that stuff. So if you're in a position to do that, do that. Um, yeah. And if, if you're a white person, I'll just say, educate yourself on what's happening. Don't ask people of color to teach you anything. You have Google, you can read books, learn about this shit on your own. Um, and that's not to say like become an expert because <laughs> you're never the expert, right? But like just educate yourself and listen to people. If you go into spaces where you're trying to like support people, your job is not to hog the, the microphone, the megaphone, to talk over people, be quiet, listen, offer help when you can. Um, if you can ever put yourself like if you can get arrested instead of a person of color, you should get arrested because obviously you will not be harmed by the justice system in the same way. Um, and yeah, if you're a person who you're just scared and you don't want to go to protests or, you know, like you're high risk or anything like that. Um, and, and that's another thing, like so many people who went out to the protests are so brave because they are high risk, you know, and they risk getting infected with COVID because this matters so much and the world is so fucked that they like put their own personal health on the line and how extraordinarily brave, you know? Um, but yeah, just be safe. Oh, if you, if you are unable to go to the protests, uh, amplify people, retweet them, give to the bailout funds. There's ways you can help, you know, so don't feel like you're not doing anything. Um, and yeah, guys, while you're at it, stay inside and cause a little trouble. <laughs>